This episode is brought to you by my friends Quinn and Samantha Bible of Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or check the link in the show notes. Welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Eric Kahn. Very delighted to have you with us for this episode. And very excited to be sharing with you an interview that I did with my friend AJ Hurley. AJ, uh, for those who do not know or don't follow him on social media, is the director of Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust. And he's had some pretty interesting uh, content on his social media, including videos of him at the U.S. Capitol uh, interacting with Elizabeth Warren um, and he's had some other stuff on there as well that's pretty interesting, particularly if we follow the pro-life movement. So we're going to talk to AJ today in this episode, and we talk about a couple things, including his role in the Justice for the Five, uh, which was this incredible, powerful, also disgusting, horrific incident that happened near our nation's capital and um, the babies that they found um, that were being disposed of like trash. And uh, we'll talk more about that incident. AJ will give us kind of the background and what his involvement there was. Uh, but also, we're going to be talking about Roe v. Wade. We're going to be talking about why that got overturned, what ramifications it has for people in our country, and maybe what the Lord is doing in the United States. And so, uh, really good conversation. Uh, hope that you enjoy it. And of course, we do want to wish everybody a Merry Merry Christmas. Uh, we're still in the 12 days of Christmas. And uh, like the uh, Downton Abbey meme, the tree stays up till Epiphany. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Hope everybody is having a wonderful holiday season. Again, enjoy this episode. And special thanks to some of our supporters, including Barbell Logic. You can check them out in the show notes or visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen. And we want to thank... Quinn and Samantha Bible of Salt and Strings Butchery. You can check both of those out in the show notes. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, joined today by a very special guest. We have Mr. AJ Hurley. AJ is the man of the hour. He, it, You're not going to see this in the podcast, but AJ is smoking a stogie. First of all, sir, how dare you? And welcome to the show. <laughs> well, dude, I would normally not do this for, you know, just in case there's any teetotalers or legalists out there that it might happen. We want you to watch this too, you know? That's right. But uh, the the video is uh, is not playing. So I, I figured I could get away with it, but uh, little I know you were going to give me away, Eric. Thanks. Man. That's right. That's right. It was pure <laughs> jealousy, envy, and maybe a little bit of rage as well. There is an open invite and I have a <laughs> box of Cubans, my friend. So anytime you want to come over, you're more coming, than, more than coming welcome. Coming to AJ's house. Well, AJ, it's good to have you. One of the things that we're going to be talking about is a little bit about what you do. So the first thing I want to do is just introduce our listeners. Some of them may follow along on Facebook with some of your uh, work, but for those who don't, maybe just tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for the last couple of years and how you got into it. Yeah, man. I, uh, I was a respiratory therapist for, I've been in one for seven years now, and I was 
pretty much just minding my own business as a RT. And then I started working on little babies as a respiratory therapist and putting little babies on a ventilator. And not that I wasn't pro-life before or didn't, not that I didn't see the value of human life. In fact, I always kind of wanted to get involved with the abortion fight because of the obvious reality of what Mm. it is and what it means. But uh, it wasn't in front of me until I started working with these little babies, dude. And, and it changed me and it's just egregious. I say it all the time, but you know, I'm working on children that we're putting on all of our time and effort into, uh, to save the lives of these 21, 22, 23 week old children. Mm. And then, uh, you know, across the hall at UCLA and some area that I didn't even know about, you know, uh, and I still don't know where it is, but they're performing abortions at 24 weeks gestation. Mm. And now after uh, this recent laws with California, they're doing up to the day of birth. Wow. And, and so it just became a really vivid picture in my mind, these children that we are deeming valuable and worthy of attention and support and resources and effort. And the ones that were literally pulling the arms and legs off across the hall. And the only real difference between these two classes of human beings was nothing other than a fiat decision of another human being as to which one is valuable and not. So that really began my whole quest to get involved with pro-life, not only uh, activism, but eventual, I would like to get into legislation, you know, so that, that kind of started it all for me. And uh, it's been a long, hard journey ever since then, but uh, it basically led me to doing full-time pro-life activism. And uh, it's been quite, quite the journey that this last year, man, it's been unbelievable. The, the things that God has just sovereignly just thrown in my lap, man, it's been it's just been otherworldly. Yeah. So one of those things is um, that has been, I think on, on some people's radar, but I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I was a little surprised it didn't get as much attention as it did. Uh, and this was the justice for the five. Um, yeah. that you were involved in. So I guess just yep. tell us about that incident, how you became involved in it, what happened, what what are what are the details surrounding that? Yeah, so I went I got approached by a guy to become a director of this pro-life organization for which I'm serving now. It's called mm. Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust. Been around for like 25 years. Been incredible. Some of the biggest pro-life advocates and voices in the U.S. today have all started at Survivors. Mm. They, they're just incredible at training activists. So they really, I, I owe it all to Jeff White and Cheryl Conrad, who really just gave me a voice and gave me a platform and gave me the tools necessary to, to make some waves. And the area of the pro-life fight that I've been really focusing on because it was in my backyard was the area of fetal organ trafficking and, and all of the ways that they're using aborted baby body parts for scientific research, lungs, livers, thymuses. I mean, all of these government contracts 
for uh, using U.S. taxpayer, your, my tax dollars to go to federal research programs that acquire baby body parts uh, of these children. And so I was really involved with that and making kind of huge, um, just raising holy hell, I like to say about <laughs> that. And, uh, and then that led me to just going to different areas in the country where this is happening. And I did an East Coast tour and a West Coast tour, hitting all the major fetal trafficking hubs and along the way, also hitting certain uh, landmark, I guess, well-known abortion clinics. And I found myself in uh, at Margaret Sanger Planned Parenthood in New York City. I was outside of the clinic one morning in a box, uh, the big box truck pulled up and they started unloading big boxes from the clinic there, boxes of aborted babies. And anybody who has done this for any, any length of time knows that what's in those boxes. They're, they're the corpses of, of the children of the community that they're hauling out of these abortion clinics and they're taking them off to be disposed of through medical waste uh, management. And so uh, it was really no surprise to anybody, but not a whole lot of attention is given to this type of thing. So I, I simply took a picture of this and then that gave the, an idea. I kind of got some traction in the insider baseball world of pro-life movement. And that gave the idea to some of my friends to approach one of these drivers so two of my friends, Lauren Handy and Teresa Bakovanak, were outside of an abortion, late-term abortion clinic called Washington Surgery Center. And feel free to interrupt me with any questions yeah, yeah, if, you know, along it. the way. I don't want to go on a huge dot, um, monologue here. But um, basically, they approached this driver and they said, hey, do you know what's in those boxes? To be honest, and I believe him, he had no clue. I mean, many of these drivers don't. They're just they go to many medical facilities, pick up tons of different uh, medical waste, and he didn't know. And then he like, well, look up, that's an abortion clinic right there. And those are the mm -hmm. the bodies of, uh, you know, children from the DC and Baltimore area. And I guess to God's, you know, God's sovereignty, he just was totally cut to the heart of the, about this thing. And mm -hmm. they used that opportunity to ask him, hey, we want to give these children dignity and a proper burial. Will you let us have one of these boxes in order for us to do that? And to their surprise, he said, I scanned the boxes in and I'm going to go look the other way. They take a box, they call myself and my wife. They told us what happened. Lori and I, my wife and I take a, a trip down, um, got a, immediately got on a train, were, was there about four hours. And honestly, man, it was just unfreaking believable what we experienced looking into that box. Inside the box was 115 image bearers of God at all gestational ages, but five of those 
we were aghast to see were full term third trimester beautiful children that had just been mangled some of them actually weren't mangled some of them were even just fully intact but the the from a legal perspective it became very apparent just even a prima facie evidence and look at this is that there was prima facie evidence of infanticide some of these babies had been born alive and some of them mm. were the victims of partial birth abortion one of the girls in particular uh harriet had the back of her skull snipped in classic partial birth abortion fashion and had her brain suctioned out and and, and so it, it became a cra- i mean it, it was some of the most stressful few weeks of our lives because just thinking through all of the strategy as to how to best get justice for these children and handle the the bodies of these babies in such a way that would would uh, give them the respect that they deserved. So it became a movement and it became a huge national news story. I was going to ask you, AJ, one of the things, there's video of this, and I believe you're the one in the video handling yeah. um, these children. I just emotionally, I mean, I'm, I'm, I watched it. Uh, it was disturbing. I've heard your uh, story be told on other podcasts. Um, it's, it's one of those things that is hard to fathom. So I, I, I'm just curious, like as you're going through that and during that video, I mean, what are you thinking? Like what's going on in your mind emotionally? Some people may think, well, yeah, but you see this stuff all the time. You're dealing with this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's just a, it, there's an emotional factor. In it. And, and the reason I ask you is because I want to feel like the conversation about abortion in America would change if every single person who voted to murder babies had to go through that process. Yep. Like if even mothers, like, would you do it if you had held these children? So just w- walk me through what emotionally that was like for you. What's fascinating and not incredibly surprising. You know, I, I, before I worked as a respiratory therapist, I was an EMT and I worked on an uh, ambulance for a number of years. So I've, I've seen hundreds of, of dead bodies and worked on horrible car accidents with dismembered people. But mm. there was something unbelievably different about what that was. I, I describe it and pardon me if this is like not the most theologically accurate, but I, let me explain it after. It was like holding a pure the purest form of depravity that you could experience. Mm. Like on one hand, you're, you're looking at this precious image of God, but on the other hand, you felt a tangible, vivid, just totally like acrid display of the depravity of what was going through the person to do such a thing. Mm. And um, honestly, I, I don't know if, uh, if I could fully, fully de- describe to you what that was like, but um, it was, it was horrible, man. It was, it was just horrifying. Yeah, one one of the interesting things I've thought about too, obviously in relation to this podcast, Hardman Podcast, 
I always, in those situations, it's got to do something to you as a man mm-hmm. to see that happening. I think there are a lot of men whom I've talked to who have said, yeah, um, you know, my girlfriend went and got an abortion. I was not privy to that decision or my, even sometimes my wife. So I wonder just at, at, as a man, part of you has got to be sitting there thinking like you, you want to protect, right? That's why you're in probably the line of work you're doing. I guess what, what, what would be the message too? I think, cause there's a lot of guys who are like, yeah, that's horrible. I'm not going to do anything yeah. about it. That's horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just address it from that perspective. Like how should sure. men be thinking about that as providers, protectors? What was, what was interesting was I, when, when I first, I, I responded more emotionally when I saw the, the images of the pictures because they basically sent me some pictures of basic pictures of what was inside. Uh, before I actually opened the box and then had to take photos and hold these children. But I had never, like as a man, when I saw those, I, I, I respond, like I think I just went holding them and everything. You go into this work mode where you, like I just had to basically be a man in the situation and tell everybody, look, there's no crying. There's no... Um, oh, poor babies. There's like, we need to go into work mode because we have to do justice for these children. And so, um, most of the emotional aspect of what it, we were dealing with, particularly my wife, by the way, if you guys could keep just praying for my wife, like, um, I'm more mm-hmm. emotional when I, when I think about like how this has affected my wife. Um, and, uh, that's uh that's something that still really hits hard because she still uh she still wakes up in the in the middle of the night a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the time um crying and screaming in the middle of the night she has night terrors and everything about um what's happened and uh it's not something that uh, you know that you you I, I don't think that level of depravity is something that uh the normal person is meant to, we're not designed to take that in. So, but I, I will tell you that my initial reaction was just rage, just mm. utter rage. Holy, holy rage. Something I have never felt before was holy rage. Um, the type of holy rage that, like, if you find out your wife had been raped, that type of holy rage was the holy rage that was coursing through my soul at that moment, seeing the images of these babies and somebody that could not only justify that, but could perform that type of an action and an act. Uh, I could, I could, for the life of me, I could not fathom it. And so, you know, as a man, we, those basal instincts are obviously justifiable but uh there are not justified ends to what would naturally be a natural response to somebody who would do something like that to a child right we live in a we live in a we live in a milieu and a in a cultural milieu where this has become legal and the only way to effectively fight this is to fight it through the legal process um and so the most rational thing to do is just to put that aside and say, what 
how does my life now change in light of this? And I can tell you right now, the first words that entered my or that exited my mouth was, I will never be the same. And I have never been the same ever since I've held the, those, those babies. Mm. Um, this abortion is the most demonic and evil, despicably evil thing that we could ever sanction and allow in this country. And even indifference in the face of it is utter depravity. Yeah. So you look at what's going on in our country, as you said, absolutely despicable. You would think, okay, you guys point this out. Um, there's been stuff in the past where they're like, you know, we're doing these undercover videos where we figure out that Planned Parenthood is doing what we thought they were doing, selling baby parts. Mm-hmm. But in one sense, you know, and, and I know this year we had Roe v. Wade. We'll talk about that in a little bit being overturned. But in one sense, it, you kind of wonder, people see this stuff and not a whole lot changes. Mm-hmm. Um, has that ever shocked you? And why do you think that is? Like why, you would think the video comes out and you're like, okay, uh, we see that they're selling baby parts. This is despicable. And yet there, what ends up actually happening, and, and I know this is part of your story too, they actually sick the legal system on the person revealing it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, my friend David Delighton. Uh, who the guy who put those Planned Parenthood videos out in 2015? Yeah, he's now looking at. I think he he was been charged with close to 10 felonies. Uh, really, and yeah, and for simply recording people and and without their consent, um, there's you know not not violating NDAs stuff that n- normally nobody in their right mind as a whistleblower would ever receive, but you expose them at what they're doing and just be prepared because our system is so corrupt that, uh, and there's so many, there's so much financial vested interest in the continued practice of abortion that uh, it's not surprising that, that this is the result. Is it because of pharmaceuticals? Is it because of other factors? What, what financially is driving those decisions? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so abortion is, I mean, big pharma is huge, but I mean, honestly, any, any industry that you could think of from the, um, from your food products to farm pharmaceutical drugs, to healthcare, to, uh, like cosmetics to like, honestly, the continued practice of abortion is integrally connected to everything and i think there's to to the extent that it's it's more i think there's more simply simply uh there's more to it i think there than than what's at face value i think there's honestly a spiritual element there is uh for centuries and civilizations we have always done this. We've always given Satan his share in order to live, to work, mm. to breathe. Um, from the ancient civilizations, what Moloch and and uh, Astaroth and all the, all the, every civilization has always practiced child killing. Uh, they've always practiced child sacrifice. Uh, 
And so I think the biggest driver behind this is give us your children, give us the blood of your children. Satan loves nothing more than the blood of your children. And I mean, obviously some people are going to listen to me say this and think that I'm gone down this kind of crazy Alex Jones kind of conspiracy realm, but, but it's just true. I mean, when you look at it, it doesn't make sense. Why do you need, why do you need fetal material in your flavorings for your drinks, your soft drinks? Why do you need, why do you need stem cells from fetal fibroblasts when you can derive them other places? I mean, it just, it is ingrained and intentionally ingrained into the fabric of our society. And so people oversimplistically, I believe, think that we can just end this from enough, enough people kind of getting involved in passing healthcare laws, but it's just not the case. I mean, the, the world's biggest and most powerful people from, um, from Buffett to Bill Gates. I mean, Buffett, this uh, just after Roe pledged a hundred billion dollars to a big abortion over the next 10 years, a hundred billion dollars. Um, Regeneron pharmaceutical company, Regeneron, um, all of these companies have made billions off of the patents alone in how to, uh, harvest the organs of these children in such a way that you could graft them onto lab mice, uh, you know, in order to skirt human trials on some of these, some of these for pharmaceutical drugs, right? So why would you, if you're testing your pharmaceutical drug and you want to know how this is going to behave on a human trial, well, you patent a technology that lets you destroy the natural immune system of a lab mouse, graft a perfectly sized thymus or liver of a eight, yeah, 11 to 24 week old gestational aged child in the womb. And now your lab mouse behaves exactly in the way that a human would because it's been humanized. So when you hear, you hear the term humanized mice, that's what they're talking about. Is this technology developed by Regeneron? And this is everywhere now. Humanized mice trials are everywhere. And so it's so much bigger than just ending abortion. It's like taking the cash cow away from all of these companies that in the trade-off is, look, give us your babies and we'll give you a better vaccine. We will give you a better pharmaceutical drug. We'll cure your Parkinson's. So it's it, we have to think big if we're going to end this, and we have to cut them on every cut cut the tree from every root possible. Yeah, it's it's interesting, AJ, too, because when you look at this stuff, it's very easy. I mean, even as I'm hearing it, I'm thinking, okay. You know, Alex Jones said the frogs are gay. That cannot possibly yeah. be the case. And then, like. Two months later, I read a atrazine, study from right? Scandinavia yeah. yeah, about atrazine in the water. And they're like, no, it is in fact making the frogs yeah. and other amphibious creatures gay. Uh, yeah. One of the things I want to ask you about, I don't know if you saw this in the news. I'm sure you did. But there's been this story, which people are not sure. They're like, is this real? Apparently it's real. Uh, this is the Ectolife artificial womb facility. Have you seen this? Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, there's, I mean, did the... the research is endless in in this re- regard but yeah that there is huge push for artificial wombs 
Yeah, so ectolife artificial womb, this is what they say, is a controversial new way to be pregnant with the baby growing in an idealized lab condition. Transparent mm-hmm. growth pods arranged by their hundreds in what are called baby farms. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, are we watching like Total Recall? Are we watching <laughs> so Attack of the green. Clones? Yeah. Soylent Green, Soylent Green is people. I mean, and I guess my point bringing this up, AJ, is a lot of this stuff that just seems like my senses don't want to believe that this is true. Because there are a lot of people in America, like I'm going to work, I'm watching football on Sunday. I don't yep. want to believe that this stuff is true. And yet, from what you've been talking about, like it's, it's all around us. Totally. And it's not, it, to answer your question before that I never got around to, yeah. It's not just that it's happening. The reason why it's not changing is because none of us know what the heck to do about it. No. What do you do? So yeah. it's true. What is the average person sitting at home at a nine to five job with, with kids to put on, food to put on the table for their children and problems and bills? What do you do? Right. The very few people have the, the privilege of being able to do this for a full-time job to expose this. But the problem, and even I don't know, there is, you know, in this society, the means of changing these things, we have very little power in order to do them. Well, because so there's, I, there's fundamentally like, you have an elite few who have the money, power, and resources who are making these decisions. Totally. And this is, this is honestly, I mean, I'm, I don't want to sound like a Marxist, but, they, but to every lie, there's a seed of truth, right? And it is true that there are power structures of people that do not want you, your family to seed or God's law for heaven's sake to be instituted. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us, right? That there is a kingdom of darkness warring against the kingdom of light. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those things that I, I can expose this stuff to I'm blue in the face, mm. but at the end of the day, like it seems like there's something missing because just showing up at a rally, screaming my head off and getting arrested uh, falls grossly short of, of what really needs to happen. Yeah, I think part of it is there's got to be, you know, look at historically, um, it goes back to the elites and a lot of the gate, gatekeepers of culture. Yeah. Um, I think what's happened traditionally is the Lord in his judgment will overthrow those things. Um, that's one pattern, right? You have leaders who are fools. So their culture, their, their rule gets destroyed. Um, and then I think the other thing is it, it is amazing too. I think it was in the Hobbit, but I think of the, it's not in the book, but it was in the movies and it was actually a good addition. But mm-hmm. what, uh, Gandalf says about, um, you know, the hobbits and in particularly mm-hmm. Bilbo, you know, yep. and, and it's kind of this idea that, you know, it takes great power and great people to do great things. Yeah. And of course his line, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, you know, that's not what I found. I found it's ordinary folk in the ordinary everyday deeds. Cause I think yeah. part of it is, yeah, you have all these people um, at the top who are doing these really heinously wicked things, but ultimately if communities 
you know, we, we were talking about this uh, recently, but if communities took control of themselves and yep. like a community said, oh, Planned plan Parenthood in our neighborhood? I don't think so. Yep. Like we'll meet you at the city gates, but that's not happening. Brother, um, you are, you're a totally onto something there. I, I think that, that, that is the way there's an old adage that says all politics is local. Mm. And actually I have a friend who is, <laughs> he's outlawing abortion city by city. His name is, um, his name is Mark Lee Dixon and he's got these sanctuary cities and he's done over. I don't, I, I think a few, a few dozen now mm-hmm. where and especially you're seeing this at, on the border states, right? But you get enough cities around and you do in key cities that have abortion clinics in them. And the city council is just saying, no, you know, we're going to stand up against the tyranny that we're seeing that says it's okay. Like the state tells me it's okay to, to kill babies. I'm sorry, but not in our city anymore. We're not doing it. And uh, man, he's been able to stand up against a lot of the even legal challenges against this in key. Uh, he just did one in New Mexico, one of the one of the biggest pro-abortion states. I mean, New Mexico has more abortion clinics than than freaking McDonald's. There, it's it's mm. it's disgusting because of all these people that are um, coming across the border and are are uh, engaging in child killing now. And so he's basically just saying, look, I I think that perspective, if Mm -hmm. all of us stood against and said no more, uh, we don't care what the elites are doing. We don't care what these state politicians or the federal government is doing. We're going to take responsibility for what we have in our our community. And we're we're just, we're saying no more. The buck stops here. I think, dude, I really think you're onto something there, bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And that's, that's kind of one thing that I've, I've looked at as like national politics, um, kind of the whole picture. It seems like it, it's like watching a TV show, like yep. it distracts you. And ultimately the only things we have control of are, are local and in our own communities. One of the things I want to ask you, AJ, uh, just going back to just for the five. Um, sure. so you ran into the law, the lawman, uh, because of this, I wonder if you would just Walk me through what happened. Um, pe- you know, people didn't show up and congratulate you for doing something heroic, um, yeah. but it actually caused legal problems. So, if you would just tell us what that was. Yeah. Well, so some of it I can't really fully talk about. Um, I will tell you, tell you what I can. Uh, yeah, basically, sure. I'll just give you the the just the, like the play by play. A lot of it didn't have to do with justice for the five. I think the 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 people that wanted to fry me over that were kind of in a pickle because on one hand, you have trash, right? <laughs> what I picked up is trash. You're and saying, then, they're saying it's not a human. Yeah. Wait, you're saying, so, well, so why is, yeah. So suddenly you're saying it's not a human. Oh, interesting, right? So did did I dispose of trash that was given to me or did I... Uh, improperly handle a human corpse. So, it, so it's a human corpse when you decide it was, but you just treated it as if it wasn't. A because of a human earlier. corpse, then you somebody committed murder. Yes, exactly. Right. So, is, does is this a human with dignity, or is this just medical waste? Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I was able to. And who knows? I mean, at this point, my 
door could be kicked down tomorrow. I mean, right now, right? It's the the stuff that I've been through this last year, brother, has been some of the biggest highs mm. and the biggest lows. But um, I'm being charged with felony stalking really? uh, of an abortionist. So let me just tell you this. A little under a year ago, I did a sit-in in an abortion clinic where they were harvesting uh, the organs of pain-capable, viable children. And we have reason to believe they're actually doing it while they were still alive, withholding. One of the problems is, is when you harvest the organs of a child in the second trimester, which is what the research contracts themselves are calling for, mm-hmm. uh, the, the medication that you give in order to ensure that the baby dies, ensure fetal death before delivering the child, um, that medication conveniently, um, or not conveniently for them, it, but it, it, it also nukes all the stem cells of the organs that you're, they're trying to acquire. It destroys the tissue. Mm-hmm. It's a drug called digoxin. So what they'll do in a second trimester abortion is they'll take a long needle and they'll stab that needle into the child the day or two before and stop the baby's heart with this medication digoxin. The problem is that they can't use that uh, on the the organs of these children that they need for their research projects because it destroys, kills the cells of the tissues that they need. And so what we believe is happening in, in many cases is the trauma of birth alone is not sufficient to kill these children. So many of them are, I, we believe are, have reason to believe we're coming out alive uh, mm. and, and just being left to die on the, on the table there uh, in the abortion clinic. And so we did a huge, uh, we did a huge uh, sit-in at the abortion clinic. I, w- I was arrested for trespassing. And uh, the night before, we had flyered the, the neighborhood of, of uh, an abortionist, never once went on any private property, just simply flyered the neighborhood to, to let uh, everybody know what exactly was going on in that, uh, in that neighborhood what these, the, the person who lived in that neighborhood was doing. We linked, we linked a bunch of her uh, published research to let everybody know this is not some conspiracy theory, theory. This is actually what's going on. Put flyers on cars and public street poles. Um, well, uh, about, geez, when was that? Four, three or four months later, I was in DC and, and all of a sudden I get swooped up by DC PD and held in solitary confinement for two days. Mm. Uh, they put me in a four. That's got to be pleasant. Oh, dude, it was, it was legit torture. They put me in a four by seven foot cage. I was alone for most of the time until I wasn't alone. They put someone else in there with me who was a schizophrenic homeless guy who was screaming and talking to himself. It was just utter torture. I, I got lice from this guy. I mean, the sanitary conditions of the DC jails are just horrendous. Uh, they give you no pillow, no blanket, no cushion. I mean, literally just sleeping on a a uh, piece of sheet metal in a, a four by seven foot cage. I mean, you you it's that that big. And um you're not let out. And so 
they refused to tell me why I was being held and basically when I was going to be arraigned. Two days later, they brought me out and they, they don't tell you what time it is. It's completely dark. There's no light. I mean, it's, it is legit dungeon solitary cage they put you in. And so you just feel the whole weight of the justice system on, on top of you. And anyway, I didn't get a phone call. It was just, it was horrible. And so I go finally go before a judge after two after days. Two of, days. This is after two days. Yeah. So they, they bring me before a judge. I don't even know what time it is for heaven's sake. And, um, and they start reading me these charges. Uh, yeah. The d- defendant, uh, Mr. Hurley is being held as a uh, fugitive from justice, <laughs> fleeing from, from uh, 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 charges in San Francisco, being held as a, uh, for, for felony stalking and, and, uh, and, a, and a fugitive from justice. And I'm looking at this judge and I'm like, totally, what the heck? I have no clue, judge, what the heck this is all about. The prosecutor is trying to get me extradited back to San Francisco. It, dude, process, at this point, it's like you're a terrorist. Oh, bro. It was unbelievable. I, I, I'm just like, this is not Extradited? Happening. Extradited. So, by the way, which the process could have taken two months because mm. they put you in a bus with a bunch of convicts. Oh my gosh. And they stop at every single little either prison or jail along the way until you eventually get to where you need to go. So I'm pleading before this judge like judge I have no clue what this is about. I've never been or I've never been convicted for anything. My record is totally clean. I have a flight back to LA tomorrow. By God's grace, the judge looks at him like, I don't understand why you're trying to do this guy. Like, he has no priors. I'm just going to let him go on his own recognizance. But with orders that I had to turn myself in. So I, I fly back to LA. I fly up to um, San Francisco. I turn myself into San Francisco. They hold me there for four days in San Francisco before I'm finally arraigned. And, um, I find out that I'm me flyering a public neighborhood. Which is totally legal, by the way. (laughs) Totally legal First Amendment protected activity. Flyering a public neighborhood and putting flyers on street poles and cars is felony stalking Mm. and vandalism. So um, I'm charged with two counts of vandalism felony stalking, something called a California face violation, um, disrupting a business, which I may or not may or may not be proud of, of that one, (laughs) um, trespassing and resisting arrest. So, um, now I'm looking at a maximum of up to, I don't know when you count them all up close to 10 years in prison for, for doing a public protest in, and tra- basically trespassing and then and then uh flyering a public building or a public uh i'm sorry public street so well which is crazy because i mean a lot of it right you look at that and you're like okay that is a pretty strong reaction to protest and then you're looking at it and you're like well 
I don't know about you, but I remember people in Minneapolis destroying an entire city. Exactly. And people right. are, you know, whatever, you know, they're totally. black, so that's okay. And whatever else. But yeah, I think it, what it shows is what the people worship and what yeah. the statist, paganist, humanist religion is all about. And I think you're right. This, I mean, it's not new. We look back at things like Moloch worship and we think, oh, that is so wicked. Yeah. How could anybody do that? These, you know, these pagans. And, and then, but there's just a blindness I think over a lot of people about what's going on here. I also think you you get into, you start reading about some of these things, whether yeah. you're reading about Pizzagate adjacent material or whatever yeah. it is and however far down that rabbit hole you want to go. And every year, even the Super Bowl, right? You re read about the human trafficking. And I've talked to people yeah. who are doing what you do, but in the, you know, sexual trafficking market. For sure. Um, trying to combat that. And it's horrific. I mean, the amount of things that are going on all around us every day, we, we just don't, the average person, it's like, as long as you kind of keep it out of the light of day, totally. um, people don't know about it. It's really horrible. W one of the positives, AJ, I think was Roe v. Wade. So I remember talking to you, I think you just happened to be in DC at the time, right? Dude, it's been crazy. All, all the coincidences, the coincidences that God has aligned, it's it's been unbelievable. I was not only there for Roe v. Wade, but I was there for the Dobbs leak. I just happened to fly in an wow. hour before the Dobbs leak happened, and I was in the court within minutes. That's incredible. So I want to ask you about the first one. Uh, we'll talk about both of them, but the, the, sure. the first time you're in DC. Uh, well, I guess what, what came first chronologically? The Dobbs um, leak. The leak was, I'm trying to think, was it the end of last year? The leak was in, I believe, man, it's been such a blur, but I, I believe the, the leak was in April or May. Okay. And you were in DC. I'm sorry. No, it was in March because the justice for the five thing happened in the end of March, early April. Okay. And the, the justices, I believe, had seen the five babies. And that was the, dude, that was the total providential thing about this whole thing. It's like, right. I've said this before, but like this country, God is, does this incredible thing where he reverses the most wicked and abominable decision that our court has ever made. And right before he does, he lets them, peels back the curtain opens the door of the abortion clinic uh wait you know abortion clinic room where these babies are happening and basically lets us America peer right into the abortion procedure room to let her see exactly what she's doing right before this horribly wicked yeah abominable decision is overturned. And I just think that it was so providential and I'm so glad God in his mercy let me be a part of that uh, because it was, it was just striking. I mean, everybody, this leak, I, I, I don't know if the leak was precipitated after that or what, if it was even connected, but it's, it's very interesting, the timing of it. Yeah. At this point, I, as far as I'm aware, they have not said who leaked it. Is that correct still? Yeah, no, no, they have not given a name. And I mean, come on, they, they know who it is. It's, it's just, it's not the, it's not the narrative that they want to push. Right. And right. so what, 
What are your thoughts on that in terms of who? I think it was one of, well, we know, we pretty much know it was one of the uh, justices clerks. Mm -hmm. I don't, not obviously one of the liberal justices like Sotomayor or um, somebody who, who worked for the clerk had an, had access to the draft decision because how this works is, you know, they hear oral arguments, they hear the actual oral arguments for the cases. And then they have, I don't know, anywhere from six months to maybe even longer to actually write up their, discuss it, write yeah. up their, the draft decision and then determine what they want to do. And at that point between the time that they actually hear the case and then the time that the, the case is actually released, any of the justices could flip. They could change, even though the, the, they, so say it's a split decision. Well, if right before in the 11th hour, somebody decides, hey, you know what? I'm, I feel differently. This has happened in 92 with Planned Parenthood versus Casey. One of the justices flipped. They thought they had it in the bag. And, and then we had another, what, uh, uh, 20 years of, or 30 years of, um, of baby murder, you know, mm. it, from a federal perspective. And so, um, what, the the impetus to do this to leak this decision is to attempt to garner enough national outrage over the decision that it puts enough pressure and that's why you see death threats you saw guys um showing up to yeah yes to garner enough pressure to get them to flip their decision so Mm. you have this event where america is outraged over the late term abortion that is happening and so many people deny that it's happening. We give, we catch them red handed. We give them the photos and the videos of the, the babies that they're allowing to be killed up into the ninth month of gestational month of pregnancy. And we show America this huge outrage. And then to meet that is this Dobbs leak, right? Yeah. To put enough pressure, Jane's revenge. And, and so then that's what's so funny about has one of the Jane's Revenge or Ro or Ruth Sentis has one of them ever been indicted for anything? No, Can you name not one that I'm of them? Of. But I flyer a public street, and I'm now looking at close to ten years maximum in prison for flyering a public street and engaging in a peaceful, nonviolent, um, you know, uh, trespassing charge. Yeah, and you even you even had people like uh, Ocasio Cortez, where she was saying she was encouraging people to show up at the justices' house who had oh hundred percent you know yep. been been in favor of overturning Roe, which it, it, it was just crazy. Chuck Schumer, same deal. Those guys were were all in on that. Um, it's interesting, AJ. I think we've had a little bit of time to look back at the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which. You know, I think is monumental. It's very interesting. It's I, I I've kind of called it a grace to a nation that didn't deserve it. Hundred um, percent. It it was overwhelming, and I I think partially for me because it's something that we've been praying for like my entire life. Honestly, yep. never. You know, it's probably like being a Cleveland Browns fan and not expecting to win a Super Bowl ever, yeah. and then you see one, and it's even yeah. bigger than that. Yep. Um, so I just want to get your perspective. Now we've had a little bit of time to digest it. What do you think that decision, how big was that? And what has it meant for the country thus far? Well, so it's interesting. The perspective you have on this really um, 
I think shows a lot about how you look at political engagement in general. Sure. What's crazy to me is the amount of people and Christians who didn't celebrate it for either two reasons. One, because they were such cowards and they're trying to be so winsome that uh, any rejoicing was seemed like some kind of gloating over your enemies, which is, in my opinion, just so I, I, I don't have words for, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I could speak to a little bit of that, even the Sunday after a row going to a church and them not even, I was just, I expected to, to show up on Sunday and rejoice and sing and shout for joy with the people of God. And I literally was in tears, a heartbreak because it was just another Sunday and not, it, it's like, what? The, the streets should have been echoing with the praises of God's people. If I heard anything about churches, for the most part, uh, it was like, hey, we need to weep with those who are weeping. Yeah. Because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you been harboring murders? What's, what's <laughs> right. going on in your congregation? <laughs> we had uh, at Refuge Church, um, you know, Brian, Brian preached on it. Um, we were talking yeah. about how wicked it is and how gr- grateful we are to God yeah. for mm-hmm. overturning this just heinously wicked, horrible yeah. law. And we're going to yep. shout and we're going to sing psalms. But that largely wasn't the tenor in the churches. Yep. No. And so you saw that perspective, that that response from the majority of mainline churches, uh, I would say majority of churches in general, and then across the ideological and, and denominational spectrum. And then on the other side, you had huge members of the abolitionist community that didn't didn't like thought that somehow celebrating what God did in, you know, the repentance of, to a certain degree of, of the court was just as if you can't rejoice because that God saved some children because others are still being killed. It's like, well, if we never rejoice in what God does, because there's still perfect. injustice in the world. We will never rejoice. Yeah. You know? And so I just, I don't ascribe to that type of a, a mentality of, yeah. Right. Does look, does the battle need to be won? I'm sorry. Does the war need to be won? Yes. Yeah. But dude, if you think you were going to go through your entire life fighting horrible battles and you can't stop to sing and drink and smoke and celebrate the the war the 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 battle in the war and the victories that you do have you're really saying something about god that oh, he is so he's so deficient in the the, the blessings that he gives you in the battle that he isn't worthy to depra- be praised in the midst of it. Mm. And so, um, I, I, man, I'm, that's something that's just so really tangibly felt. And so I, I'm so, I was so happy to, to see churches like yours and, and, and see churches like Apologia, Jeff Durbin, all these guys that were just feasting and rejoicing and the good gifts that God has done and the victories that he has done in spite of, I mean, dude, when you look at the cultural and moral decay of our nation in every mm. single capacity, it is nothing but a miracle 
that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And it oh, really had yeah. to do everything to do, especially now that we, the dust settles, as you said, and we, we're even looking at the midterm elections and see how closely uh, abortion is to the heart of Americans across the spectrum and how they they really killed the red wave was was abortion measures. Um, you it's think really, so? I, I mean, I, I do. It, it, you know, it, it's, it does, the reason why, I think that is because a lot of women were charged up after when when you look at the polling numbers the majority of people that voted um blue were were women. I mean it was like 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 most it was mostly women. And to the extent that places so so there was a few a few huge just really egregious things that were on the ballot. Michigan had a uh, abortion measure that protected abortion to the day of birth, um, repealed consent laws for underage children, um, defined uh, abortion rights to even the right of sterilization to because Planned Parenthood now is is the second largest provider of hormone uh, blockers and gender reassignment really? drugs. Yes, and so wow. um, so if they they. They included in the definition of reproductive health care the right to sterilization because if you sterilize underage children, because this is a way of monetizing Planned Parenthood um, other than abortions, you know, so they're paying all these super extreme legislative loopholes to to accomplish just despicable evil, and it's just passing left and right. They, um, I think it was it was either Montana or. Um, or um, Wyoming had a, like, literally, it was just a bill that said, um, we should protect the lives of babies born alive in abortion. And that didn't even pass. So it Man. seemed like every, in every regard, uh, and, and you saw, so by the way, I don't want to get too much down this hill, but the left spent a hundred million, uh, I'm sorry, Almost a half a billion, four over four hundred million dollars on pro-abortion advertisements for the midterm elections. I was going to say that that's what we were talking about offline before we started. Was almost every local Colorado, Utah ad that I saw was if there if it was a Democrat ad against the Republicans, it was basically like. She hates women and wants yep. them to die because she yep. doesn't like women's health care. They put and, and all the their chips the, on. Yep. On yeah. Abortion. The way the propaganda works was like, I mean, it, 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 you know, good propaganda has some truth in it, but this was like, no, like their cards are on the table. The the venom was coming out. No holds barred. These people yeah. are taking away, like they want women to die. Totally. Totally. And that, that's the propaganda, right? But behind that is this women's rights movement mm-hmm. and the right to um, abortion is, has been just uh, one that's been defined as tied to women's rights. And so, I don't know, I think provided that all other factors are equal, like that there's no massive election integrity and all these other the factors that could come into play, I mean, it seems to be the fact that when I answer the question, what killed the midterms, I look at where the money went, right? When, when, 
when yeah. the other side is putting almost a half a billion dollars and all their chips on Roe v. Wade and uh, this pro-abortion measures, well, you know, everybody was expecting a red wave landslide and it didn't happen. So yeah, I could be wrong. I, there's, there might be other factors at play. There probably are, but uh, I could be open yeah. to persuasion, but that's, that's, that's my initial thoughts about that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, the other thing I want to ask is uh, just Roe v. Wade in general. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people on the left saying, you know, lamenting the fact that abortions have gone down. Uh, we saw some things in Alabama, I think it was in Mobile, where people responded by having a floating abortion clinic on the water. Yep. Um, that is just happening. Some, some, some crazy things that people are kind of losing their minds over. Totally. But I'm curious, do you, do, what do you think the net effect thus far has been for Roe v. Wade in terms of, is it really stopping abortion? Is it making an impact? Uh, what do you see going on out on the streets? Yeah, so this is a tough question because when people say save children, um, we tend to think, are, are, we, are we equivocating on what we mean by saving children or stopping abortion? Do yeah. we mean protecting children or do we mean actually stopping them from being slaughtered? Um, I think it's a little too early to to know all of the definitive answers as to whether not these um, these abortion measures are actually translating to lives saved, or are we just redistributing their death to other areas like out of state self managed abortions. These are these People are just go to uh, California or yeah, or across. I mean, so like if you if you're in Texas, you're you're driving to New Mexico, right? That's what everybody's doing. So if they can drive a few hour drive or six hour drive, four hour drive to, depending on where you're at in the state, um, or self managed abortions. That's this is something that's nobody's talking about. Um, that I think the abolitionists have been talking about for a long time. That that is. T tend to be over overlooked by the pro-life establishment is a result of self-managed abortions and abortion pills. I mean, so what we don't, the pro-life side doesn't want to admit is that abortion is still legal in every, almost every case now across in every state because the access to abortion pills on demand, I mean, is, is pretty widespread. And I, I don't, to my understanding, I might be, I mean, you could double check me, but I, I'm pretty sure there's no federal laws against uh, mail order abortion pills from other countries. There's tons of loopholes that's surrounding this. And so is it translating all the way to save lives? I think so. I can't at this point, juncture. I can't really prove that. Um, there has been some recent reporting done by, um, by Charlotte Lozier, but it's, it can be critiqued. Let's just put it that way. And, and, and I expect that. So like anytime, so say, say I was to criminalize abortion in Texas tomorrow. Well, mm -hmm. is that going to result in lives saved? I'm not sure. I, does, are people going to then find a way to illegally acquire abortion pills? 
potentially. Are they going to find a way to, I mean, the internet is a very powerful place now. You can pretty much Google anything and find out a way to self-manage an abortion in almost every case. People have been doing this for thousands of years. So if you are determined and hell-bent on killing your baby, I'd imagine you're going to find a way to do it. So, but that's a different question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it to, for the court to repent? I would say yes, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's other aspects of Still what, progress. what this means. It's progress and not only that, but what it says to the culture in general. Well, it gets back to this question of if you have a wicked people and a just ruler and just laws, should you still pass the just laws and would they do good? And I would argue, yes, they would yep. do good. Um, yep. We should still pass just laws. And, you know, especially as pastors in our sphere, you should be looking at it and saying, look, yeah, we need a cultural revival and a yep. cultural reformation. We acknowledge that changing the laws didn't necessarily change the hearts and minds of Americans. We understand yeah. that. But we take yep. both. It's it's not an either or. We don't, you know, you saw this too, I think. Um, I'm trying to think of who... I think it was um, Karen Swallows prior, but she was like, I am just grieved that this didn't come at a time when it could have been more widely, like they were grieving. Yeah. The, the law got overturned. And I think what it realistic, let's be real. Um, you had a lot of big evangelical leaders like her and they were saying, look, I got a bunch of friends on the left. I know they're pissed. Yep. I got a posture to them because that's really where I make my money. Totally. And, you know, forget the conservatives, uh, more or less. And yeah, uh, yeah so I think that there was a lot of that going on. But sure. again, I would just argue it's still good to have a just law. We're still grateful for that. It's still a move in the right direction. Yeah, man, I will, I will take any form of repentance or incremental yeah. legislation that is just or any, any moves to look. Jesus said it so clear that the, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven in a, in, in a, a, a measure of wheat, right? It's, it's, it's flour. It's going to, mm. it's incrementally going to rid the world of darkness. Yes. And so this, this under, this, I see a, a practical form of pietism, I think, in a lot of Christian spheres that says, look, if we can't have justice how god says justice is right now perfection or nothing yes exactly and so i will never take any form of incremental uh legislation that that will call uh, other than what god calls it and so and i'm just like it's almost like a dispensational way of looking at ecclesiology right mm. it's like it's like the kingdom of God comes now, comes all at once, like the rapture, and you know, and if not, you will take nothing less than every perfect justice right now. And I'm just, I, I just, I think that's the that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah. And, and earlier on, I think in my my political or pro life, I guess uh, ministry, I. I uh, I was more radical in that regard. And I, I just, I think I understand now that uh, 
that we have to maintain our principles, but at the same time, we have to realize that the art of politics is getting unbelievers to act like Christians. And, right. and that takes leverage and it takes time and nothing short of a massive revival will take place. And, and we see this with Roe. It was not cultural revival and, and a godly like repentance. It was, like a man named, it was a man named Donald Trump that was able to get Supreme Court justices on. That's the only reason why Roe was overturned. The only which is, reason. Which is crazy because when you really think about it, Doug Wilson said this after Trump was elected and all, you know, they got their nominations. It, evangelical leaders, like Trump got elected in spite of them. Let's be yes. honest. Yes. And so, and a lot of guys were saying, oh, it won't be worth it. He's not really going to overturn Roe. This is a trick play. I had my doubts. Totally. Um, obviously, you know, voted for Trump twice. And I was like, well, I have my doubts, but I also hate all the people in Washington right now. So, oh, you know, yeah. maybe it's a good maybe, bet, in my opinion. Maybe it's a Hail Mary, but whatever. I'll take a Hail Mary every yeah. now and then. So then, but then even I, I was shocked. I was like, wait, wait, wait. They're actually going to overturn Roe? Like, no, that didn't happen. So totally. yeah, it really was. It was in the face of the direction that the culture was going. Um, we've had 60 years plus of maturation and evil yeah. um, it, among our people and the, you know, the church, some parts of the church trying to do something about it. A mm -hmm. lot of the church doing not a whole lot about it. Or, you know, this is kind of the other thing I think there's a lot of posturing. There's totally. a lot of people who want to posture like they're pro-life. But if you actually had to give them the pen and say, sign the bill, they wouldn't do it. Oh, there's tons of that. No, there's, there's that, that is a good point. I mean, and I see sides, both, both sides, but it's interesting to me that the, some of the, the best and brightest among us in this generation don't want to take any type of like what Doug, Doug always talks about, like smash mouth incrementalism, but we don't because they want these perfectly just bills and they won't vote. They think it's sin to vote for anything less. But what's fascinating to me, Eric, is, is we don't involve ourselves in politics in any other way. Like, like if I was to say, um, it's not an know, all or um, nothing game. Yeah. Like, like here's an example. I'm paying probably when you factor in sales tax and all this stuff, we're paying probably close to uh, probably dang near 40% of our income to the government, yeah. right? The, the, the revolutionary war was fought over a 2% tax just to put it in perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, but if, but if I was to somehow craft a bill that said, let's get it down to 11, you bet your freaking bottom dollar, no pun intended, everybody would vote for it. Right. And, but what they wouldn't be saying is, well, first Samuel chapter one says, this is a judgment for asking a king to rule over you that you're going to, he's going to take you and your sons and daughters to war and he's going to take a tenth from you. So I could never, by God's standard of justice and what he requires of as 10%, I could never vote for anything that would be unjust. We wouldn't be saying that. But for some reason, we take these, we, we don't, we don't take the, we throw out basically every all our other strategies for fighting evil mm -hmm. and instituting incremental righteousness in society and establishing cultural reform. We throw that out the window and then just take super pietistic um, perspective and use our 
enshrined methodology for ending evil as tantamount to biblical orthodoxy. And I'm just Mm. saying, look, if that's where you're at, that's fine. But like, you're ostracizing a lot of super good people that have been fighting this consistently for a really long time and that are suffering for it. And I just, I, I don't know. I just think uh, I'm kind of on the, the, the lines that I think, I think the kingdom of God doesn't really work like that. Yeah, it, it, I think you're right. And I think the picture of Levin is really good. Uh, we have to make what progress we, we can. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of times, you know, you, you've talked about this, but kind of the partnerships. I know a lot of the pregnancy resource centers that we've worked with. Uh, you know, a lot of reformed Protestants are like, yeah, but all the people down there are Catholics. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? God bless them. Totally, and I'm glad man. they're there and I'm glad they're doing the work because well, they're and being it's like, where did the Schaefer, tip of the spear. Where did Schaefer go? Like, didn't Schaefer speak to this? Like this, this whole distinction between like co-belligerence and yeah. like allies? Like, where did that go? Like, why, why can we not involve ourselves politically like, our, but even that's not consistent because we work with unbelieving politicians to get our bills across. So, like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I'm not having these people pray at my prayer rallies or like, or, or speak at my churches. But like, we can't go sit next to each other at an abortion clinic to save babies, or we can't, uh, like, we can't work together at a, at a rally. Like, I, I just don't get it, man. Well, you remember it was like Donald Trump went to David Platt's church. And everybody freaked out because David Platt prayed for him. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. If Joe Biden shows up at my church and says, Hey, pray for me. I'm like, yes, I, I will yeah. do that. I yes. would absolutely do that. You, you might get struck down. I don't know. Yeah. No promises, <laughs> but, uh, they might will, be some prayers out of the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> they might be imprecatory prayers, but yes, we will exactly. pray for you. So yeah. yeah, I think that that is a good word. Uh, AJ, uh, last question, just where people can follow along what you're doing, uh, yeah. follow your work, follow you on social media. Where can people keep up to date with your work? Well, if they still want to follow me after me, just completely <laughs> spilling everything that's on my sleeve, you know, um, you can follow me on uh, Facebook. I just started a Twitter, Eric. It's oh, been all what? these years. Just started. It's AJ Hurley life on Twitter. Do you follow and, me yet? Uh, I think I do, but I have not yet gotten a follow back. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Yeah, bro. That's some <laughs> Matthew 18 going on right, right now. Right. Right. And then, um, and then, uh, uh, Instagram's the, the major one. I, I post a lot on Instagram. Uh, okay. I think it's just AJ Hurley or AJ dash Hurley. No, AJ Hurley, um, on Instagram. Awesome. So. Awesome. Well, we'll find those. We'll include them in the show notes. Definitely encourage people to check out your work, follow along. Uh, you might see AJ doing some cool stuff, like getting into an argument with Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen some cool stuff. So yeah, yeah, definitely appreciate the work you're doing. And uh, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the conversation that I had with AJ Hurley. Again, appreciate him taking time to come on to the show. A couple of housekeeping items. Number one, we do want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. If you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you can get access to exclusive content for as little as $5 a month. You can visit 
Patreon at the link in the show notes. And we definitely appreciate and um, just love the support from everybody for this content in the upcoming Patreon for this show, the exclusive content, the after hours, if you will. We will be talking about Isaiah 9 and how is it that Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and specifically Everlasting Father. Is Isaiah 9 anti-Trinitarian? What is going on with that verse? We have some pretty keen insights from Mr. Charles Spurgeon and some other great biblical commentators, including John Calvin. So we'll be talking about that and what ramifications it has for us as men and fathers, what we can take and learn from Jesus, who is prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 9. So that will be exclusive for Patreon-only people. And then upcoming, we're also going to have some content in there reviewing books, including one of my favorite books by Greg McCown, and that is Essentialism. So I'll be doing a full review of Essentialism. Again, this will be Patreon-exclusive content, so be sure to sign up today and you'll get access to that wonderful stream of content that also helps support this show. If you haven't yet, go over to ericcon.com. You can also check out our store. We have some wonderful Virtus t-shirts and Pietas t-shirts, which I love. I wear them almost daily. And, uh, you know, you got to have some Virtus in your life. You got to have some Pietas uh, t-shirts for your ladies as well. And, um, of course, I wear mine as well. Piety and godliness and virtue. Wonderful things to be celebrating. And, by the way, if I don't say so myself, the t-shirts look pretty spiffy. So check one of those out, a little belated Christmas gift maybe for the 12 days of Christmas for you and yours. Again, we appreciate you listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. Until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.